Section number seven of Mellor of the Silver Hand and Other Stories of the Bright Ages. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Linda Marie Nielsen, Vancouver, B.C. Mellor of the Silver Hand and Other Stories of the Bright Ages by David Byrne. News of the Noel. News of a fair and marvelous thing. The snow in the street and the wind on the door. Noel, 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 we sing. Christmas morning in the city of Tours. Seven hundred years ago, all night long its narrow streets have been crowded with wayfarers. All through the morning hours its churches have been thronged with worshippers of the holy babe. Since the cathedral bells rang their merry peal for the midnight mass, the snow has not ceased to fall. But now at the dawn of day, and as the minster bells ring out again for the mass of the aurora, the sky begins to clear. The silent storm of snow is spent. But what a festal garment of white it has woven for house roof and gable, for turret and tower and spire. What a spotless wool-like carpet it has spread over every street and lane and bridge of this royal city. Far away from the cathedral, in the chapel of his kingly castle, the good Count of Mans has kept a night-long vigil with his knights and squires and pages. There he has heard the solemn matins and louds of the nativity and the grand mass of midnight. There he and his attendants have remained until a little before daybreak, only to form in devout procession and pass through the snow-covered city to the minster walls. Banners of silk and gold hang from the cathedral towers, and the ringing of its deep-toned bells fills the city with sound. Comes mingling with the Christmas chimes the blare of silver trumpets, and the muffled tramp of many horses on the fresh-fallen snow. The progress of the royal party has begun. A splendid, shifting scene is this early morning procession through the long, narrow, crooked streets of the city, out from the gates of the castle built by Henry the Second of England, past the huge tower of Charlemagne, in which his queen lies buried, over the narrow bridge that spans the Loire, on to the cathedral founded by the great St. Martin, once the bishop, now the patron, the glory and the pride of tours a lovely moving picture the people think as they crowd the river banks and line the tortuous streets and press about the minister's western door for upon snowy background gleam a hundred ruddy tints the cherry colored silk of the boy pages the scarlet of the men at arms the peach-colored velvet of the knights, and last all the royal purple, half concealed with folds of the ermine, whiter than the snow upon the streets. 
denser grows the crowd as the van of the procession reaches the cathedral precincts it is natural that the people of tours should wish to see their ruler since it is only upon the greater feasts of the church he comes amongst them natural indeed that they should wish to gaze upon one whose greatest pleasure is to do honor to the king of heaven one who for his own glory would scorn to make eternal show but whose delight it is publicly to proclaim himself the vassal of the king of kings already the pages have dismounted and left their horses to the care of the grooms a great space is kept before the minster door for the royal entry but the people press and surge about the walls and many struggle in vain to get a foremost place upon the fringe of the crowd one small boy has just succeeded in forcing himself to the front and stands close pressed against a buttress within a few feet of the cathedral entrance a pale-faced lad of fourteen and by his dress a scholar and a cleric the hood falls back from his head as he emerges from the mass of waiting people and his tonsure is plainly visible he is shivering with cold now as he stands exposed to the full force of the north wind and his short cassock and thin black mantle are verily a poor protection from the biting breeze yet it is clear that he is radiantly happy excitement or the cold has brought a faint tinge of color to his pallid cheeks and his dark eyes shine and glisten as he assures himself that he is within easy reach of the great porch and that there is no fear of his being unable to follow the procession once it has passed into the cathedral he is not at all indifferent to the pageant that is approaching but although he has served at the altar of one of the city churches thrice this morning he longs to assist at the mass of the aurora in the minster purinitus s nobis he keeps whispering to himself as though it were the burden of some sweet song he could not forget purinitus s nobis et philin datus s nobis a child is born to us a son is given to us the joy of this little tonsured cleric is the true christmas joy if the boy so lately born bring any other happiness well and good but it was the birth itself that brought such joy to mary and that he made the whole world rejoice for twelve hundred years if it bring only cold and suffering well it did bring other than this to the boy who was born at midnight such were the thoughts of young martin the little clerk of tours as he stood shivering by the minster door at the dawn of christmas morning he had no thought of envy as he watched the rosy-faced page boys in their bravery of white fur and cherry-colored silk 
walking to and fro between the divided crowd, stamping their long fur-lined boots and making their silver spurs ring as they did so. Noble-looking lads they certainly were, graceful and well-developed in form, healthy-looking and beautiful in feature, the sons of great lords, every one of them, yet proud and happy enough to hold the stirrup or the bridle of their master, with basin and uter, with cup and platter. Pious and good, too, it may be hoped, since their lord was the model of a Catholic prince, and would never knowingly suffer the smallest evil to find place in his well-regulated court. But, though young Martin, not one of them, is a tonsured cleric, he would not change places with any one of them, even if such a thing were possible. Far from being of noble birth, Martin was the son of a poor weaver living in one of the narrowest lanes in that great city. Yet the king of glory had chosen the weaver's son to be one of his royal pages. Surely it was a greater matter to serve at the altar table of God than to wait upon any earthly king. And if the boys before him were looking forward to their knighthood, was not he, Martin, waiting longingly for a far more regal order than that? Nothing less, indeed, than the order of Melchizedek, the eternal priesthood? Yet there was no pride in the little scholar's heart as he thought of these things. Pure Natus and Nobus was still echoing in his mind, and he knew that, before all things, Mary's boy was humble, meek and loving, and that if he would be a true page and faithful knight of this knightly Christ, he also must be poor of spirit and truly humble. But now the bells, which for a time had ceased to peal, broke forth afresh, and the notes of the trumpets reached the ears of the waiting crowd. The count was already in sight. A little cloud of smoke floated out through the cathedral porch, and a whiff of incense, that sweetest of odors to the Christian sense, sent a new thrill of joy through the shivering young cleric. He knew that the procession of priests was approaching the entrance from the interior in order to meet the count and to conduct him to the place close to the high altar. Martin did not envy his sovereign's pages, but he found it hard to put away the wish that he were one of that band of boy clerics connected with the cathedral of his patron St. Martin. He could see the holy water-bearer from where he stood, as also several of the singing boys and acolytes. How beautiful were the fair white albs and amices they wore, and how splendid the cloth of gold copes he knew the priests were vested in. Happy boys, he thought, to have a part in so great a function. And yet, said Martin to himself, their office is the same as mine, and the holy sacrifice is 
everywhere the same, whether it be offered at the side altar of a small church or at the high altar of a great cathedral. The thought comforted him a good deal, yet he could not help looking with a certain longing towards the cathedral porch and wishing that he had an office, however small, among the priests and clerics there assembled. But now the crowd at Martin's back began to surge and sway afresh, for the knights had already appeared, and close behind them was the Count himself. Horses were rearing and capering as they were led away by stable boys and grooms, and the men at arms were being drawn up in two long lines to form a passage for the royal procession. Devout looking and dignified, yet with a happy smile upon his face, the Count rode to within a few feet of where Martin was standing. Instinctively the boy felt that the moment their prince had entered the porch, the people would press forward and crowd into the cathedral. Martin thought if only he could get within the entrance, all would be well. Slipping quickly past the soldier who was now standing almost in front of him, the boy gained the porch, and passing bareheaded the group of ecclesiastics, stationed himself far back in the corner on the right-hand side of the door. His boldness startled him when he realized what he had done. The Count himself was barely on the threshold, and yet he, Martin, had already entered. He blushed a little, but he was not afraid of the consequences of his action. The cathedral was God's house, and not the palace of any earthly king. Besides, was Martin not a cleric? And could he not claim the privileges of his state? Had he not a sort of right to stand there among the clergy, although remote from them? It was true he lacked the choir dress necessary to fit him for a part in the procession, but then he had no intention of joining it. All he wished for was a place to pray in during the solemn offering of Holy Mass. But the boy little thought that the sharp eyes of the Count had detected his maneuver. Standing now, bareheaded, under the great doorway, and bowing low as he received the holy water from the priest, the great lord of Tours, paused as the procession reformed within the porch and began to move forward within the cathedral. Looking straight towards the corner of the porch where Martin stood with his back against the wall, the good count smilingly beckoned to him. Nervously the boy came forward and bent his knee. Tell me, my little clerk, said the Count in a kindly and almost jocose tone, have you any news for me? There was silence for a moment during which the trembling lad looked up into the great man's face. Its kindly expression immediately reassured the little cleric. Yes, sir, he answered in a low but audible voice. Most excellent news. The Count started. Could it be that the boy before him was the bearer of some state secret, 
a messenger perhaps disguised as a cleric quick then ejaculated the count tell me your news pernitus s noblis began the little scholar reverently et film datus et noblis greatly moved and edified the count took the boy by the hand and raising him from his kneeling posture said excellent news in truth and news for which only the boy who is born can reward you let us go then and worship the new-born boy for holy mass is about to begin and do you my little clerk take your place with the cathedral clergy it is meet that the child who is given to us be surrounded with the children of the church gladly enough would martin have knelt in a corner of the nave but this was not to be passing into the church the count bade him to take a place in the stalls of the choir hesitating for an instant the lad bowed low and turning up the south aisle passed into the sacristy explaining the count's message to the sacristan the latter immediately provided martin with amice and alb vesting quickly and with beating heart he passed into the choir by a side door and took himself to the remotest place he could find among the clerics of the third form his heart was full of joy and as the choir began in troit le fugbit hodi super nos quita natus et dominus his voice shook as he tried to join in the singing and a stream of tears flowed down his cheeks what a delight to find himself if only for the first and last time in his life so near to the high altar of his beloved patron's church on such a day too and under such extraordinary circumstances certainly our young cleric had a hard fight with distracting thoughts during the progress of the holy sacrifice try as he would he could not but think of what had so recently happened in the porch of the cathedral the great count of mans had spoken to him and taken him by the hand had smiled upon him and finally had given him for one happy hour at least the privilege he most desired yet for one which he scarcely dared to hope how glad the boy was that the church was so huge and that he was as it were lost in that great crowd of worshippers and yet what a delight for his father and mother if they were within the building as he was almost sure they were and if they could see him here in the cathedral stalls well if these thoughts would come back to his mind no matter how often he put them away at least he was master of his sight he would not saving at the elevation of the host raise his eyes to look at any person or thing he knew the count could not be far away for on these occasions a special place was prepared for the royal party not far from the altar 
but the boy was resolved that he would not look away from the gradual which lay before him a wise resolve indeed for long before the cannon of the mass was reached martin's habitual recollection came back to him and when the great bell tolled for the elevation he could think of nothing save the mystery of the moment and the words that so sweetly haunted his memory near natus et nobis sit films datus and noblis grandly the holy rite proceeded to its close and then the boy found himself walking from the choir to the sacristy in the great procession of priests and clerics which on this occasion included every ecclesiastic belonging to the cathedral arrived there he waited with his brother clerics for the signal to unvest already the bishop had passed through the kneeling lines of canons and choristers yet the signal was not given the bishop was awaiting the arrival of the count of Mans, whose yearly custom it was to greet the clergy at the close of the mass of the aurora soon the clatter of sword scabbards was heard and the ringing of spurs and martin knew that the count and his attendants were approaching bowing low with the rest as the royal party passed by the boy did not raise his eyes to look at the count or at any of his companions the young clerk felt that sufficient honor had been paid to him that day and had no desire to attract his prince's attention a second time he rejoiced exceedingly when the bishop led his noble visitor to an inner sacristy and the signal to unrobe was at length given for many reasons martin longed to get away quickly from the minster he had another mass to assist at before noon in the church of his own parish where for several years he had served at the altar it was now long after nine in the morning and as yet he was fasting for though he had received holy communion at the midnight mass he had not left the church until the time drew near for the royal procession to the cathedral again the lad was anxious to avoid the curious questioning of the boys of the choir as to the reason of his sudden and unexpected appearance in their midst but martin was not destined to leave the cathedral so quickly he had scarcely put off his alb when one of the canons came behind him and whispered the bishop desires to see you follow me a moment later the boy found himself in the presence of the bishop of tours and the count of Mans scarcely in the whole of christum was there a happier christmas party than that held the same day in the poor little cottage belonging to martin's father the poverty-stricken weaver of tours the noel had brought them news indeed martin for whom father and mother had made so many sacrifices and whose vocation to the priesthood had long been to them a source of mingled anxiety and delight 
was now a member of the great and rich cathedral establishment of tours no room now for fear lest they should be unable to supply their pious and loving little son with sufficient food and clothing no cause now for anxiety lest their pale-faced boy should be unable to continue his studies for the priesthood martin had obtained the patronage of a bishop and a prince in later years there was a canon of tours who it is said to have taken the poor of the city into his own particular keeping so great was his charity that the people declared st martin himself had come to life again but oh the activity and generosity of this canon martin at the time of christmas and the sharp lookout he kept for poor shivering little scholars end of section seven recording by linda marie nielsen vancouver b c